fast, efficient and affordable business grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the Yellow Building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 734 of Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How is it going up in the zone? Bloody cold. Bloody cold. Bloody like minus two or something this morning. Isn't, aren't you just around the corner from the equator or something? I'm not friends with them. I, I don't know them that well. I'm sorry. Uh, never been invited over. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Uh, not only was it like minus two, which is fine, I can do it, but it topped out at like 16 degrees, which is highly unusual. That's the weird part. <laughs> nice range. And it was windy with wind chill at like 10 degrees or something. So it was just the last couple of days, it's just been bizarre weather. Yeah, I've had the, I've got a tower heater that I bought that oscillates and stuff. And I put that next to me now and just have it on while I'm working close past the computer and the, I've got the cat um, tower next to me now so I can look out the window and the cats just climb up on there and all the heat goes up there so they're like this is nice <laughs> which is better than when I had the little box heater and the cats would sit right in front of it and I got none of the heat because <laughs> they're like hey this is great for cats I'll just sit here all day I'm like what about I'm freezing hello it was not for sits why is it made of warm <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> Yes. If I fit, if, it, if I fits, I sits. I had a friend of mine's cat. Used to they used to have an oil, you know, the oil heaters with the. Yep. You know, it used to sleep on top of the oil heater, which yep. you know, fine, it's not that hot. But they, the oil heater died, and they just went down to Woolies or wherever it was and got one of those twenty dollar fan heaters. Oh yeah. And it was nice and warm, so the cat curled up and went to sleep on top of that. Except that the cat hair got caught in the fur that's well, the fur got caught in the fan oh. stopped the fan and overheated the elements which yes technically there's thermal protection in it but it wasn't really quick enough to do its job and so it caught the top of the the plastic on fire above the the where the hot air normally blows out oh, it started smoldering along there and the case is sitting there going oh. <laughs> what the heck the, is that all about? They, they've come to the room. They're like, "Why is that burnt plastic? What's going on?" They're looking around. Oh, I better check that heater just in case. They wander over to the corner. Here's the heater, <laughs> the front of the heater on fire, and the cat sitting over <laughs> going, "That's still warm." <laughs> <laughs> toasty, toasty for cats. So, they turned it off and put the fire out. The cat's like, "Well, I never. That was my spot, you bastard." <laughs> so, the, needless to say, they never got another one of those. <laughs> Cat or heater? Well, yeah. No, they went, I, I got one I had of the those cat for another 10 years or something. Small oil heater things and tried it out and 
I took it back. I said, I don't think this could keep my closet warm, let alone the rest of the bedroom. It's surprising. I've got a little... One, two, three. I think it's a little six rib one. Yep. It's not real big, but I put it under the desk. And, yeah, because I've got... Um, where my desk is situated, I've got basically an old curtain all the way around it. Yep. So the heater just sits under the desk and it heats up under there, then it just radiates up up the front ah. of the desk, so it actually works really well. But these days, if I wanted to, well, if I had a decent graphics card, I could just do mining and that would hit the room up as well. <laughs> Mine does. It's currently <laughs> on like 75 degrees for one of the cards. Well, the funny thing is the oil heater is only rated at 750 watts, but the graphics card at full output is rated at 1,000 watts, so the graphics <laughs> card actually gets hotter than the heater does. That's a better <laughs> idea. Uh, you want to hope you got a lot of solar for that, son? Yeah, well, I can't do it at the moment anyway because, you know, dodgy and all that. Yeah. It's on my to-do list. I only need a couple of months off to fulfill my to-do list. I'll be fine. <laughs> you, you never get a rest when you have a break. <laughs> I know, right? I work harder on my holidays than I do when I'm at work. Yep. Uh, I've um, that made another purchase. Should be arriving by next Wednesday. So next Thursday show, we should have my shiny new Game Boy Color. Now, but it's not actually a Game Boy Color, is it? It's a traditional yeah. Game Boy case. No, it's a Game Boy Color with a refurbished case. Oh, that's yeah, because the case looks different. I'm looking at it going, what looks? Yeah, it's designed to look like the DMG original. Yeah. Uh, Game Boy, but um, it's got new case, new buttons, and everything. So it looks really nice, but um, it's Game Boy Color. So. I never had a Game Boy when I was growing up. I didn't know anyone who did, which is surprising after I'd been thinking about it. I thought, surely I must know. We had a lot of people I knew had little game and watch things and stuff like that, but I don't think I ever knew anyone who had a Game Boy. So this would be my first. Yeah. I thought I might try developing a game or two on there for something different. I never had one, but a couple of my friends did, and we used to have the Link Cable and used to play um, two games. One was Pokemon. Yep. I can't think what the other one was, but we used to, yeah. But the biggest problem is, the thing took six batteries, I think it was, and lasted like an hour. All right. <laughs> you know, just just long enough, we figured out we could take, throw a set of fresh batteries, like we had rechargeables for them. Yep. And they put a set in on the bus on the way to school, they'd use that set on the way to school, and then at lunchtime they'd swap out, put their other set in, and then use that. So they'd use two sets of batteries in, you know, less than two hours. They're just, it's all gone. <laughs> they're just insane. But I had the links. The Sega. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Atari Sega Lynx. Lynx. Oh, the Atari Lynx, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, wasn't the Atari. Yes, it was. It was. I, I, I thought it was the other one. No, it was actually, yeah, the Atari Lynx. Yep. Um, and that thing took, I think it was six or eight double A's, but it lasted like four hours. Oh. And it was a bigger screen. It was a color screen. It was stereo audio. Like... <laughs> Nice upgrade. Had everything happening going for it, and it was, you know. They have some good games. What were some of the games you played on? Well, I used to. The quality was really good. I had. um, What I used to play on a lot. I used to play. um, Can't think now. Um, Altered Beast was one of them. Yep. Um, That was really popular on the Mega, I think. It was Outrun or one of the car games. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked it. Like the, it, um, 
you could actually see the screen. Like, and, and the other cool part was in the daylight, you could see the screen, whereas the Game Boy was just yeah. atrocious. Like, it was, man, it was so bad. We spent more hours. We spent more time trying to find somewhere we could play it than actually playing in halftime. Yeah. And then the Game Boy Mini came out, and it was just as bad. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but then the color came out, and the color, the first, the, a friend of mine got the first color because it came out with the Pokemon gold or something game yeah and he got the combo it was like the first one they released and it absolutely destroyed batteries like it like 25 minutes or something on a set of batteries (laughs) (laughs) yeah it came with a he had this power pack that you could plug into where you'd normally plug your ac adapter in but it had like a bum bag sort of deal that had like 20 batteries (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you needed it. That would just plug in. It was so bad, yeah. You, and if you linked them together, it was even worse. You used to use even more power. Shoot through fast. So, they were, well, people probably know. I got the Enbernic uh, yeah, G3 PM. It's really good. It's basically a, a Linux device that emul- has emulators for all the different systems. Uh, effectively, a Linux Sega, main. Sega, yeah. Sega Master Systems and NES and get all the different Game Boys and everything just runs on there. And um, I found, as I was looking through a lot of games, because I bought a thing, a cartridge to plug into the Game Boy Color, and it's called an EverDrive X5, and it lets you put a little micro SD card with all your Game Boy ROMs, and you plug that into the EverDrive and plug that into your Game Boy, and then you can select whichever game, and you can have hundreds of games all in the one SD card and then play whatever you want. Oh, okay. And um, so I got that so I can do that, but also because I wanted, as I said, I wanted to tr- maybe try and develop a game or two so you, I can quickly put it on an SD card, boot up the device, <laughs> try it out, see what does work, what doesn't work, and then but on the real hardware, but I also can do it on um, this device, which I was just playing earlier. I joined the, um, as a subreddit, called Game Boy and they have Game of the Month and they'll pick a game and everybody who wants to join in takes a photo of themselves playing that game just <laughs> screenshot on your phone just screenshot the game that you're playing on your Game Boy or your emulator or whatever and then you stick it on there and they give you points if you prove that you're playing the game and then if you complete certain objectives in the game like you play half the game we'll get to a certain stage take a photo and all this sort of stuff and that by the end of the month they tally up all the points for everyone who's joined in with this and then uh, the next month they start with a completely different game from scratch and then go through and do that as well so there's one that I downloaded I thought I liked the idea of and it's called Warlocked yeah and it's basically Warcraft but on the Game Boy Color, you've got these little guys that you have to send out to gather resources. They go up to a cave and start mining for um, stuff in there. And then you chop down trees and you build out a little village and you can make towers to defend your village or go attack the other uh, enemy villages and take them over. And they give you objectives and stuff. And it's really good. It's got speech, which I didn't even know the Game Boy had speech. You click on one of your guys and he's like, Master, send him up into the cave right away. Comes back, does all the stuff, and it's really, really a lot of fun. So I thought I wanted to try that because I like that kind of strategy game, even though I haven't really played that many of them. 
and a lot of websites had recommended that one and it just happened to be the game of the month for this month but it's only got like what is it not just over a week before this month's finished anyway and we'll be on to the next game but i really wanted to try it out so i thought i'll, try, I'll join this um subreddit and post pictures of me doing this and see if i can get onto it and i also joined the discord server for game boy development and also just the game boy subreddit discord server so talk to some people on there about game boy things and have a lot of fun so be mm. cool to have another new toy speaking of uh, retro stuff there's a uh mod available now for duke nukem for duke nukem um they got that on the game boy color duke nukem and it's a widescreen mod so you can like traditionally and one of the complaints i always had with duke and i don't know i was reading through the the comments a lot of other people had it too was it always seemed so far zoomed in you never had time to react to anything to react because it seemed to be happening so quick because yep. if you look there you've got such a small you know you've only got what a dozen frames in each direction. Yeah. You know, but once you activate the widescreen mod, you've got so much more things. You can see enemies coming and so it actually It's funny because the guy on that video is like, um I they they don't they seem to have stretched it out and it and it doesn't affect the um graphics. I'm like, no, they haven't stretched, they're just giving you more gameplay yeah. area. They've actually modded it to physically so. to phys- well you can see there where the original screen was like that yep. where the end of that health bar is there that's where that's how much you got <laughs> you originally had and they've literally they've basically said well instead of having i don't know what they've had let's say instead of having 64 you know or, or 256 pixels wide you've got 512 now they haven't yep. yeah they haven't amplified it and stretched it like a lot of them do and that's what the my issue with the Nintendo that I've got, the baby Nintendo, that's what it does for widescreen. It physically stretches the pixels. And everything looks shit. And everything looks wrong. Instead of going, why don't we just give you a bigger playing field? Which yeah. is obviously there because the game is there to have a bigger playing field. Yeah, it works really well. Um, you know, there's a um, there's a Jazz Jackrabbit one called Open Rabbit. I think it's called. I used to play it years ago. And that's all it did. It, re- it rectangled all the pixels. Oh, right. <laughs> and it just it just went fuzzy and blurry and it just looked horrible. I'm sure I played Jersey Jackrabbit back in the day. Jersey Jackrabbit's cool. Yeah. I love that game. <laughs> so, but... But um, do they have it for Game Boy? That's the question. Well, on the a lot of the stuff, well, as you know, by developing games, there's a lot of games that are very similar but not actually the game. You have games that are similar to the game, and they call like, them that, but they're not really that game. They got Jazz Jackrabbit for Nintendo Game Boy Advance, yeah, but not for the Game Boy Color. So there'd be too much must have. But I was surprised they could get um, Duke Nukem runs on it all right. Apparently, so <laughs> I have to try that out next. Yeah, but I mean, any of those side scrollers, there's not a lot happening at once, really. You know, Jill of the Jungle and. Commander Keen and all that, they're all, there's not a lot going on at any one time. Yeah, there's Commander Keen. I'm going to play that on my Game Boy Color when it arrives. Sorry. Did you have the photo of it or I could send it to you? The Game uh, Boy Color it's, it's on Discord and I haven't got Discord open at the moment. But yeah, um, I was actually trying to find it before and I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, interesting to see once you get it, do a review on it and see what it's like. Yeah. 
but I'll bring uh, it out. Everyone can check it out, man. Yeah, there's um, there's a big retro revival coming back. You know, which is paramount by the the prices that people are paying for stuff now. You look on eBay and you look at old, you know, like five inch portable TVs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it used to be a throwaway item. Now people are charging, you know, four or five hundred dollars for. Let's see, even just looking for the Game Boy cartridges, I'm looking online and some of them like a hundred and fifteen dollars. No, I'll just download the ROM then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, so there's a. What the heck is that? Sonic. Puts uh, on a little five and a half inch portable <laughs> TV, you know. I didn't know they had one with fish in the background. Yeah, it's the, I think it was the second one. Sonic and Knuckles. So, I sent you the picture on Facebook. Fast. Uh, too many buttons. <laughs> We're professionals, damn it. Professional what, though? That's Didn't the I issue. Tell you that? <laughs> We're professionals. We just haven't figured out what at. Yeah. We can be professional gophers. So. Jack of all trades as well. No, you didn't. You thought you did, but you didn't really. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a, a picture, a image. You didn't Went to somebody me. in Facebook. You, you sent it to somebody. I don't know no. who you sent it to. It wasn't me. Will Tompkins said it, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We know what we're doing. Anybody who says otherwise has never watched the show. Facebook crap, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that's that. Got something there. there. We go. So that pretty? That's what threw me out of whack because it's, a, it's an original cover, an original case. But a color screen. I'm like, hang on, that doesn't. <laughs> that's messing with my. I head. did a, lo- a heap of research too because you see a lot of people are selling them, but either the screen's got scratches and scrapes all over it, or the case yeah. has got scratches and scrapes. But also, some of them they don't take a photo of it booted up, so you're like, does it even start? I don't know. They say working order, but you're taking their word for it. Well, I mean, but and, then yeah, and that's the thing too. A lot of them don't have cartridges to test them anyway. Yeah, then if they've got it turned on and it just says Nintendo Game Boy, does that mean it can read cartridges? I don't know because you haven't plugged in a cartridge and shown me that it's actually running a game. So they they could have problems where they've got problems with the contacts or something else makes it not read the cartridge, which is another problem. So I did heaps and heaps of research to try and find one where they... That one, they've shown you like six different photos so you can see the... USB ports and or power power ports and ear, earphone ports and everything to make sure they're not destroyed, and then the screen up close, and the screen up close with the game, Nintendo Game Boy logo, and then one with the game on it. Mm. So I'm like, okay, this must be all right. And obviously, it's got no scratches because he put a new screen in and uh, case and buttons. But I didn't I didn't look for one that's got the IPS screen, which apparently looks really nice because I want to see what it actually looks like on a real device but um it might the screen itself might be really good but you're only still getting the resolution the device can put out yeah yeah the resolution so, will be the same just looks a lot crisper and i think you don't need quite so much light to make yeah. it visible well, you, they, to play. they can backlight it so it actually you can play it in the dark yeah, yeah. You know. they got backlights and front lights and all sorts of stuff i thought maybe maybe down the track if i can be bothered i might 
get like a cheap Game Boy of some sort that on eBay doesn't work and then see if I can work out watching tutorials and stuff how to make it work or buy extra parts to make it work and buy refurbished cases and screens and stuff and then you know make it work and then sell it on eBay yeah a lot of people do that it's you know it depends on there's so many reasons that it could work or it could not work you know like Mm. um, and that's part of the problem you just don't know you know, a lot of the time if they're on eBay, they really try to be fixed by five different people and they're worse before they started. <laughs> Spare parts only. Oh, that's interesting. Kogan are actually selling um, Game Boy Color front plates. Oh, yeah, the front plate. They've also got a rechargeable battery on there. And you buy it, and it's got a two-pack for like $28. So you can put one charging and one inside, one inside. and then you can swap them over and recharge the battery packs. Yeah. Interesting. I'll see how I go with normal recharge batteries. I mean, I don't go out of the house much. I'm not going to be sitting on the train for an hour on the way to work playing a game or something. But no, and a recharge uh, a, a, a recharge pack lasts a lot longer than the old 4A4s as well. So, yeah. you know, I think it should be fine. Fingers crossed. Yes. And that's uh, Old Fart Geeks for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the complete opposite of that. Speaking of new and hip and new and hip and groovy and stuff with it, because I think that's how it works these days. I am going to pick up our new work van tomorrow, and it is an electric van. Woo! So I've only been paying for it since February. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll pay for it, all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, getting an import from Japan. It's uh, the Nissan um, ENV two hundred. It's a full-size van. can hold two pallets um, in the cargo space. It uses the Nissan Leaf uh, driveline. Unfortunately, it's only got the 24-kilowatt battery pack, which limits you to about 120 k's real-world. Uh, obviously, less if you've got the heater cranking in the middle of winter, but for what we're doing, that's fine. We don't really do more than 60 or 80 k's in a day, so we run all day. And even paying full tariff to recharge, um, it costs... You know, assuming you completely drain the battery pack and you put... So it's 24 kilowatt total, it's 20 usable. Um, and you're paying uh, 20 cents a kilowatt. So assuming you completely drain your battery pack and fill up at a public uh, public uh, fast charge, it yeah. costs you four bucks. Oh man, can you afford that? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, looking forward it's to just been that. sitting on the boat for a while hasn't oh, it's it it's been her- sat on the okay, they won, won the auction middle of February yep it got loaded onto the boat um, start of March it was actually scheduled for delivery middle of April the boat got here in the middle of April and sat out off the coast for like a month <laughs> So the middle of May, end of May, they actually unloaded the boat to the docks, but the dock workers are on strike at the moment, so it just sat there at the dock. And then start very, uh, yeah, just I think it was the first week of this month, it went from the dock to the compliancing guy, and he 
comp- he did the compliance thing and all that and it was ready to pick up. I could have picked up Monday, but I had no way of getting up to the other side of Brisbane to pick it up. Uh, yeah. um, had to make sure there's no cocaine or nothing in there. No, customs do that. Uh-huh. Um, they get them and they hose them down and decontaminate them and all that crap. Chuck a dog in um, there. Yeah, pretty much. And then it goes to um, uh, Jap Import, Jap, all Jap Imports. Um, and they run through and they've got to do some compliance and stuff to it. They've got to put some uh, baby seat tie-downs in it and they've got to change a couple other bits and pieces and just to make it compliant with our, like, change the Index. colour of the indicators and stuff to, you know, just to make it compliant. And, uh, and yeah, so they've done all that and then they rang and goes, you know, you can come pick it up. I'm actually going to do a video on the whole process because it's so damn painful um and there's so much they tell you just enough but they don't tell you everything um there's so much stuff that's left goes unspoken and there's so much money going out they don't tell you about like it still worked out cheaper it still worked out about 25 grand which is you still can't buy anything in this country for that um but you know originally the purchase price of the vehicle was only about sixteen. Yeah. So there's been another nine thousand dollars. Okay. Admittedly, it's not all their fault because freight went stupid this year. Um, like our containers that we bring in with our batteries in them have gone from about a thousand dollars a container, or not even. I think it was about eight hundred dollars a container delivered to our door to three thousand dollars a container plus delivery. Holy cow! So it's and that's nearly a thousand dollars so it's like four thousand dollars for a container now to come from china to get delivered to the door where it used to be a thousand dollars wow so you know thankfully when you got a thousand batteries on a container it's four dollars a battery that's not a huge expense but i can imagine if you had you know five of something in there you know that's a huge cost increase on those five items yeah, jeez. You know, so um, so that's not necessarily their fault, but yeah, there's so just so much stuff. You got to constantly email them, constantly ring them, constantly keep on them because they won't tell you anything otherwise. They won't actually go out of the way to tell you what's going on. Yes. And then they go, oh, you owe us six hundred dollars for that. Oh, this is four hundred dollars, and there's another hundred fifty there, and this guy's going to want two thousand, and they're going to want three hundred bucks for that, and this will be two hundred. And you're like, when I signed up for this, that wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> Yeah, he's not signing it as if he's a Nigerian prince or anything, is he? Uh, he is now. <laughs> he might not he's have been rich. <laughs> if I were rich, <laughs> he might not have been at the start of the process, but he is now. He'll be able to get one of those big rockets and head off into space soon. Then, uh, people have already done that. The thing to do at the moment. <laughs> it is the thing to do at the moment. So. But who really got to real, real space? That's what the big question is now. We'll define space. See, they They've yeah. shifted the guidelines a bit too. Yeah. So did Richard Branson get to space? I don't know. A lot of people saying he did. Jeff he Bezos just went up to. Yeah. So I got a story the about problem that is they keep after. coming back down again. I'll just quickly show you the van that we're getting. Uh, just a quick photo. It's yeah, not going to be super flat. Can we just leave Bezos up there? The first one I pick off. Off. Uh, no, you can't see because it it's the wrong. Because it puts it over that side of the stupid. <laughs> Of course it does. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, so you can kind of see it anyway. It's, 
you know, to one of these looking vans. The biggest problem with it, a lot of people complain it looks ugly because because it's based on Nissan Leaf. Yep. The charging port door and everything's the nose is really long on it because it's basically a Nissan Leaf. All the motor and the chargers and everything is under the the nose. Oh, right. So that's why the nose is so long. Um, but it's a full-size van in terms of what it holds. It's no different than anything else. But, yeah, it's a really long, got a bit of a nose on it. If it does what you want, you're so. not going to worry about winning beauty contests or nothing. No, and it basically costs nothing to run now. Yep. You know, you've got a set of tires every 50,000 Ks, a set of brake pads every 100,000 Ks. That's it. And then every 10,000 Ks, it's a cabin filter, wiper blades, you know, normal bulbs and stuff like that. Um, it's, and if you ever get stuck, you can just rub your hands together and touch it on the port, <laughs> charge it up. So, well, actually, um, uh, RSEQ now actually have there's enough EVs around now that they actually have EV response vehicles. Oh, right. They basically have a giant battery pack in the back of a van, and they rock up, and they'll give you enough for your next. Say you're 10 k's away from the next destination charge, well, they'll just yeah. give you 15 k's worth of juice, and you can go and charge. It's a pity you can't take out your four double A's, and they give you theirs, <laughs> and just do swap over like that. Well, to give you an idea, the battery pack obviously it's out of the Nissan Leaf as well, and in this van, it sits under the floor of the van. Yep. Uh, and it's about five. It's about four foot wide and about five foot long. That's the steel case that all the batteries are in, and it's got a. It, um, 240 cells yep. um, each, each like 240 modules of batteries in there so it's uh, the new one that they've just released this year has a uh, 40 kilowatt battery so it's basically double the or released oh. last year I think it was it's double the range problem is when you're importing vehicles from Japan they have to be more than 3 years old um, as part of our import guidelines. So, in other words, to get one that's got a 40 kilowatt pack in it, you're going to need to wait until you're basically 2025, 2024, end of 2024, before you'll be able to get... Who does that protect our non-existent well, electric is, car market? Exactly. That's what I don't understand. Or, like, okay. uh, or any car market, because we don't <laughs> actually have any car market whatsoever anymore to protect. No, and it's not like the vehicles, they don't even release them here, so... <clears throat> they do release like one of the Nissan vans, which it like ninety percent of it is compatible with the normal Nissan van that they release here. Yep. Obviously, the front's a bit different because the front's, but most of the stuff on the front that isn't compatible with the van fits the Leaf. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't understand. I know originally it was there to protect. You know, you go back twenty, thirty years. Okay, I get it. It was there to protect our car industry. You protect know, because you could buy, for example, Nissan was selling locally the GTR. Skyline, which was a sought-after vehicle, and they were selling that, and it was quite a common vehicle here. It was half the price in Japan to buy exactly the same car, because obviously it's a Japanese product. But by making people wait three years, they wanted the newest one, they're going to buy it, and in three years' time, the value's going to be down, it's not such a big deal, because it's not a new car in the car lot anymore. So I understand why that was there, but the thing is, it's never been renegotiated. Yeah. And then there's dumb paperwork, like some of the things I got, like this form is to verify that I'm not importing more than 12 kilos of R12 refrigerant and on an annual basis and <laughs> <laughs> you know and I said to him so, so what's that what's the van take he goes the van holds about four and a half kilos 
I said, okay, so I can import two vans with aircon. Then what? The next one I have to import, I have to get it degassed. He goes, yep. So if you bought three of them in, so the third one would have to have to degas it over there and regas it when it lands because you're not allowed to import any more than 12 kilos of uh, 12. <laughs> Where do, who makes up this crap? Uh, some of the rules are, are absolutely horrendous. The way they, they word stuff. Um, I'll, as I said, I'll make a video. I'll go through it all. But even you have to use the Japanese emperor's date code when you're doing... Um, when you're doing filing some of the paperwork and you've got the dates and stuff on it. I don't have the photos here, but <coughs> the the date code is the date at which the emperor started his rule. All right. Minus 21 or something. So, like, for it to be a, a 2016 vehicle, its date code is, like, 1142 or something is the year, and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> So, all this useless information. But yeah. So, I'm looking forward to that anyway. That's going to be cool. So, get away. So, you can just look and like catch a train into the city and then drive it home? No, nah, i got to get lifted because it's where it is. It's, it's anybody who knows Brisbane, it's basically up on the north side. It's up in Virginia. So, there's no, there's no way to get there effectively without. If I was going to catch a train, I'd need to catch five trains. <laughs> so, to drive, it's about 50 minutes. Yep. If I was going to catch trains, I'd need to catch five trains, two buses, and then a taxi. Uh, and it's about four and a half hours. Where? And about 60 or 70 bucks. What the hell? <laughs> so, <laughs> Good one, Brisbane. Uh, d Brisbane transport is horrendous at the best of times, but then when you're trying to go to from one side of Brisbane to the other side, or yep. worse yet, from Ipswich, to go from, there's no direct train from Ipswich to Brisbane. Or from where I am, which is west of Ipswich, I've got to it's go from here. I've something. got to go from here and change at Ipswich, and then I've got to go from once I get on another train at Ipswich, I've got to go from Ipswich to Maruka and then change trains again at Maruka or at Springfield, depending on which line I use, and then I've got to go from there into Brisbane, then change trains again at Brisbane to go to the north side. So I've got to change four trains just to get within twenty k's of where I need to be. <laughs> And then I've got to catch th two or three buses because there's no direct bus route from the train station to where I need to go. Uh, <laughs> like in Melbourne, you could go, I need to go here. And they go, how do you want to get there? Do you want a bus? Do you want a tram? Do you want a train? Do you want... <laughs> as long <laughs> as you're not getting to the airport, you're all right. In Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> there's a courtesy bus. <laughs> no trains allowed to go up there. No, you, get, no, you catch a bus. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, I know. get the bus. <laughs> bus or taxi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's gonna be so dumb because we're gonna have to leave here. At, you know, I'm gonna leave here at nine o'clock or something. Right on. Well, the person who's taking me up, they've got to do the school run, drop the kids off at school and stuff. So I can't leave till after that. Yep. So we're gonna leave here basically right on peak hour. So what should be a fifty minute drive is gonna be two hours, <laughs> and then we have to pick it up. Then we have to drive another two hours back. Yeah. <laughs> At least How does I can it take to um, charge up that one then? So depending on what charger you use, um, if I was to charge it at home on my home socket, uh, like a normal 10 amp household PowerPoint, yep. about eight hours. Yep. Um, so even you charge it up overnight, it's fine. Um, if I've got a 15 amp socket like I've got in the shed, it takes about four hours. If I go to a public fast charge and they've got the um, Type Two, uh, Type One connector. 
or a Type 2 connector. I've got an adapter to go either way. Yeah. Uh, it Depending on the charger, does about... Um, it can take about 45 minutes. If they've got the DC fast charge, um, it can go from 20% to 80% in about 15 minutes. Nice. So, if you... The, the best way to do it, the most efficient way to do it is pick stations that have DC fast charge and just charge, you know. So 20% to 80% gives you about 60% usable, which gives you about 80-odd Ks. Yep. So if you stop about every 80 Ks, you're only stopping for 15 minutes. You know, which by the time you stop, go to the toilet, grab a drink, jump back in, you're ready to go. Yep. Now, but the thing is, if you run it down to 10% and you want to charge it to 100%, it takes you what would take you 15 minutes is now taking you 45 minutes yeah so which you'd be at your next destination by that point yeah so you're often better off doing short bursts yeah than to do long deep charges yeah um actual fact the cannonball record they set in the states for electric vehicle was that's exactly how they did it they actually stopped um, every they have enough ch recharging <coughs> stations over there. That's the thing. Over well, here. it's actually funny. There's an app called, well, there's a couple. Um, ChargeFox um, is one of the main ones. There's, there's two or three different ones, but they, t they show you all the charge points. Yep. Uh, in Ipswich, there's not a lot. There's only two or three charge points in Ipswich. But actually heading up from, once you get out of Ipswich and you head up, between here and Virginia, which is only 58Ks, there's something like 300 charge points. Oh, wow. So, we're really starting to actually... I mean, less rural, obviously. If you head west, there's less and less and less of them. Yeah. But in terms of being able to travel up and down the coast, there's no problems at all. There's a charge point every at least every 5Ks. Are they Tesla ones? Um, just general fast charge. There's, uh, a, there's less superchargers, which is the Tesla ones. Yeah. There's not as many of those, but then again, the Tesla goes further. Yep. So they don't have to be as many because you can travel further on a charge. Now the question, are you going to get a fast charge at the um, office? At we're looking at it. Um, we're looking to see what's involved because um, it's something I've been wanting to do anyway. Yep. And I figure it makes sense because we have a massive car park and there's never any cars in it. <laughs> so <laughs> Was it you who showed me a video of someone... And this lady, he had a fast charger on the side of his house and this lady just came along and plugged the car into it. Yeah. She's like, fast charge port, it's on this map on, on the, the phone. Yeah. He's like, this is my house one, I paid for it, it's my own one. No, no, it says here, it's a public available one, so I'm charging my car up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't listed properly. That does happen, unfortunately. You might want to put a lock on yours or so, something. Well, it doesn't matter because if it's a public point, um, they still pay for it. So it doesn't cost you anything. Oh, so you make yours into a public point and then anyone can fill up there. Yeah, um, I'll uh, have mine marked as, at, at least initially, mine will be marked as a, um, what they call domestic charge points, which will be a 15 amp socket. So yeah. somebody who's carrying their own charger on board the vehicle can come and plug in charge if they need a quick top up to get somewhere. Uh, um, and then once we get an actual charge point put in, They'll be marked as a public one. You basically walk up to it, swipe your phone, and then pays. It opens it up and pays for it oh. at whatever the tariff is. Sometimes, like mine, on a, on a private one, you'll charge a little bit more because you've got to recoup the cost of the installation. Yeah. Uh, if you use a public charge point, they're usually, you know, they're all about twenty cents a kilowatt. A private one, you might charge thirty, but even that, I mean, people would pay thirty cents. 
you know, to charge. It doesn't add that much to the overall cost of the to fill up. It's still cheaper than anything else. Sounds good. So. Do they have many places that set up and make their own ones public? Uh, more and more, especially places where what they call destination charges. So um, there's a destination there. There's a reason to go there. So whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's a cafe, whether it's a service station, uh, a zoo, you know, or a parkland, something like that. A lot Which of them are starting... Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, they're aware that people need to kill, depending on the vehicle, between half an hour and an hour to do a full charge. Yeah. So they'll often have a destination charger um, that will allow you to kill an hour um, while you're waiting for it to charge, you know. Yep. So... Another thing is too on on some of the apps. Um, say you're at a shopping centre and somebody's got their car there, and you can see their car's fully charged because it changes colour on the charger that you know it's charged. Yep. You can bring up the number plate on the app and say where you are and say, "Hey, your car's fully charged. Do you mind moving it so I can charge?" Ah. And it just shoots them a. It doesn't give them any details of you or anything, but it sends you a message going, "Oh, my car's fully charged," you know, and it yep. gives you the option to go back and move it, so that you can, yeah. So nice. Those those charges. You should put on your charger some USB ports so the kids can charge up their iPads while they're waiting as well. Well, the, my van actually has uh, an inverter built in. All right. Yeah. So it's got um, it's got a two hundred forty volt inverter built into it so I can use the I can do it I can do what they call a um, a car to house yep. so once I get home if I chose to I could say when the peak price is during I can use the Amber app and say I get peak prices between you know 5 and 7 yep. well I can run the house off my car for those 2 hours and then when the power goes back down at 11 o'clock of the night I can charge my car back up again Man. so yeah, you can do... It's like your Tesla Powerwall, but it's coming from my vehicle. <laughs> and you can so I got an email from Amber today saying I've got too much solar um, batteries. Thank They said um, they're only going to... Was it something about only going to allow you <clears throat> to get the feed in until you've used up 10 kilowatt hours oh, yeah. to charge a battery? If you've got more than that, they're not going to let you do it anymore. And they said, we found one guy who had a shed out the back that had 100 kilowatt hours of batteries out there. Yeah. Well, it, said, it's not the batteries. Easy. It's the, yeah, it's the feed. See, when you're charging your batteries, you're not feeding it back into the grid. So they're not paying for it. But once your batteries are full, they put a cap on how much you can fit. And that's exactly why they do it because uh, I'm the same. Uh, I've, because I've got 12 kilowatt solar system, yep. after the first uh, 10 uh, kilowatt hours they, they won't pay for the feedback in yep. which is fine though because generally you don't you, know, you don't normally feed that back in anyway yep. once you've charged your batteries or using appliances and stuff it takes the top off it anyway so yep. um, there are a few other changes controlled load prices going up um, yeah that's on the, the doing that one. daily supplies going up uh, but the uh, and the peak uh, peak time is going down like $1. The neat part is, yeah, is going is down. Going the, cool, the neat part is though the um, uh, the general monthly that they yep. base their pricing on is going down so it means you get more often get a rebate than you than not. Ah, okay. Yeah, so. 
Well, they're going to, I think it's about two weeks from today, they're going to try and install Smart Meter. Finally. They just started sending me alerts again about prices going up and down, which they didn't for the last couple of months, and said that was because I don't have a Smart Meter, but I still don't have one. They started sending the alerts again, so. You can change out the app too. You can set at what tariff price you want the alert to be sent. Yeah, it's been set like Um, that for the last few months, and they started sending me alerts. And then stopped for a couple of months and now they started again and I haven't changed anything in any of the apps or anything. No, I think one of their updates broke it because mine was the same. Uh, I, I didn't receive for about a month. I didn't receive any updates either. But I went into the app and changed my tariff price to once it hit this amount, send me an update and it fixed the problem. Um, so. so I wasn't getting emails at all either, but now I get emails plus the goes ping, plus I get a text message. So I'm never going to miss out when that's happening. Oh, wow. So I think we're going to um, have a very streamlined uh, news segment tonight. (laughs) Here, let me just do this. Sorry, you're right. Off you go. Go on, do your thing. (laughs) The Commonwealth Bank of Australia on Thursday announced it's acquired 25% stake in the company behind Tangerine and More Telecom, a pair of NBN retailers based in Melbourne. The bank said it will offer its 11 million retail banking customers discounted NBN and broadband services. In May, the bank acquired similar levels of equity in a pair of startups to offer deals related to online shopping and finding an energy provider. The average monthly cost of internet in Australia is one of the most expensive in the world, and we are uniquely positioned to help customers manage these costs, CBA Group Executive for Retail Banking Services, Angus Sullivan said. We do this by utilising our technology to provide personalised offers via the ComBank app to these customers we know will benefit from switching broadband providers. Sullivan added customers could potentially view bills from more telecom and tangerine and broadband usage in the ComBank app in the future. Commonwealth Bank app has been recently boosting the functionality of its app thanks to the consumer data right feature allowing users to view balances from other banks is currently being trialled. For its part, the telco said they are looking to sign a wholesale agreement for 5G mobile services. Telstra is currently the mobile network provider for the telcos. Consumers don't often consider changing their NBN provider, but through this partnership with Commonwealth Bank, we can also schedule special offers and broadband activations in line with a customer purchasing a new home or updating their home or business address, more telecom co-founder Andrew Branson said. Do you want to get your um, broadband from your bank? I don't get anything from a bank, no. especially something <laughs> I need to actually rely on. <laughs> I think it's a recipe for disaster, but maybe they'll make it cheap for some people. I don't know. Oh, they'll do some Thursday pension special. Yep. <laughs> Five dollars on Thursdays or something. A dollar. <laughs> Speaking of NBN, uh, NBN has 119,000 services that it can't hit its mandated 25 megabit minimum. <sighs> so, how was it two years ago now? 25 is all that anyone should ever need, didn't the whole PM say that? Didn't they basically say that... It's super fast! You know that. No, but didn't they say... When was this? Um, Trying to see when when it happened. But basically, originally, they were starting to say that um, Australian premises need to be offered to connect to the minimum 25.5. Um, NBN is responsible for the areas declared ready for service and eventually become the default provider. After NBN is declared, built and fully operational, the Commonwealth, the communications wiring of the Department of Infrastructure said, um, 
trying to see on this article. Make it twelve. Trying to see on this article was um, said to commence on first of January twenty twenty one. So we've been six months into it. And 119,000. Now, keeping in mind that according to the NBN, the NBN rollout is finished and they've installed all they need to do and there's no more work to be done. But 120,000 places can't rate the service that they recommended. The minimum service needs to be to be met to, be con- to count as a con- conditional rollout completion. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so it will all be done by now and also no child will be living in poverty by now either. I don't think they ever promised that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I'm sure I heard somebody say it. Somebody said day. it once. I don't know. I don't think it was them, though. No, um, it was Bob Hawke. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what? Said so the NBN will be finished by now. <laughs> he said no child will be without the NBN by 2090. That's what it was, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they built a wall. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it keeps the rabbits out. <laughs> So, NBN said, okay, so, okay, they just admitted that 120,000 can't hit the minimum that they said that they have to meet their own standards to meet. But of those, 80% can can meet the minimum 20 meg, which is only 5 meg less than they originally said. Um, That leaves. They get dropouts too. That leaves 40 odd thousand places that can't get 20 meg. Of those, half of those can get 10. Meg, and the other twenty odd thousand can get five meg. Should have stayed with ADSL. <clears throat> now, given that most of those places that can only get five meg had ADSL two, which gave them twenty five meg, now they get five. <laughs> I'd probably get charged more for that five as well. So yeah. Um, to put the whole picture in perspective, the proportion of premises not receiving the minimum peak twenty five meg represents approximately 1.4% of active services across the NBN. That's not the point. <laughs> One of the reasons they cited, here yeah, that they can't reach the minimum speeds, was that the fibre to the node premises is 18 months behind in its rollout period. But didn't they just say... It's complete. That it's completed? Except that bit. <laughs> <laughs> and and the ones that can't get the speeds they wanted. Um, and fibre to the nose speeds are dialed down to continue to allow legacy services such as ADSL to operate. Because ADSL coexists with the NVN quite happily. No, they switched <laughs> off ADSL everywhere they put the NVN and said, you can't use that. Oh dear. See all those stories where people are like, well, I had ADSL and I was getting 25, then the NBN came in at 5, and I said, can I have my ADSL back? And they said, no. You need to be happy with the one-fifth of speed that you were getting. And now you're paying more for the privilege. And paying more for it. Yeah. You're welcome. On the upside, um, the... Ah, okay. Allowing such services ADSL to co to coexist with the NBN with a minimum twelve meg has been guaranteed until the coexistence period ends July thirtieth, twenty twenty one. Next week. <laughs> and then it's only gonna be thirty nine point three percent of nodes are gonna be affected. Uh. So forty percent of the NBN is still running on ADSL lines. Jeez. 
quality mixed technology. And what's this fiber to the node they keep talking about? Because if it's fiber to the node, it's not ADSL. <laughs> On the upside, though, apparently it's possible they can increase some of the speeds using fiber to the node via satellite. Do these people know what fiber to the node is? <laughs> yes, they they get a fiber cable and they, and they attach it to a satellite. satellite. And then back down to your house. <laughs> it's that simple. Oh, but it's only going to cost them $13.3 million um, per financial year over financial year 19, 20, and 21. Should, they could just get all that back from all the overpaying bonuses that they sent to a lot of people. We didn't do anything. Um... So, yeah, so apparently, basically, the NBN is still useless and it's costing people a lot of money. So, there you go. <laughs> um, they're going to trial the NBN Co. Has, for the trial, the NBN Co. has licenses that allow it to use the Spectrum in the 850 meg band. You know, the one that they took off everybody else because they weren't allowed to use it anymore. Um, and they're going to be using that for the trialing of the NBN for the faster speeds. <sighs> but at 850 meg was only 2G, maybe 3 at a push, which would only be like 5 meg anyway. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I don't know. Google today started rolling out backup by Google One as an update over existing Android backup service that now means end users only have to be aware of one sync to the cloud. Android backups currently cover app data, SMS messages, call history, contacts and device preferences, including Wi-Fi networks and passwords, wallpapers, display settings, brightness and sleep, language and input settings and date time. Only. Backup by... <laughs> Backup by Google One is billed as being more granular and expensive as well as unified. Namely, it can also back up photos, videos, and MMS messages with management and control now directly in Android settings in addition to existing Google One app or website. Oh, Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> with this change, MMS is now part of the Android backup experience by default. Last year, the company started allowing anyone to back up MMS, but that required installing and using the Google One app. This unified approach is meant to remove any distinction in backups. <coughs> Today, people are primarily aware of Google One, which most equate with Google Photos Media Backup, and might not be familiar with what's automatically done in the background. This usually does come into play until they get a new device and are setting it up. Users will now have less to manage and be actively aware of what's being stored. Despite the Google One branding, this backup system will be available to all Google accounts, it comes as as Google last July made Storage Manager tool inside Google One app available to all, regardless of subscription status. Users are still limited to 15 gig of free storage with anything more requiring a paid upgrade. Moving forward, Google plans to continue improving the unified backup experience for Android. Backup by Google One is being beginning to roll out to devices running Android 8.0 today and will be fully available over the coming weeks. The company will provide more details as it widely launches. And I have to admit, the one thing that doesn't do well is SMS backup. I have a lot of problems with trying to recover SMSs from the backup. Yep. Um, I think most of my stuff was going through the Samsung 
uh, storage servers, which is now moving over to OneDrive. So I'll have stuff backed up with Google One and some stuff backed up with OneDrive. That seems convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Back up all the things everywhere. So that's why I've always just used the Google One. But yeah, I've had issues with, with SMS. Everything else seems to be fine, but for whatever reason, SMSs don't... Don't uh, do well. I don't know why. I don't know if anybody else have that problem. It's just me, but yeah. The, mostly to... Uh, I have gone... It was like... Mm, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, if it went from a different device, like if you went from, say, a phone to a tablet, it really screwed them up. And if you went to, like, a different brand of phone, it went messy. So I don't know uh, if it's something... It was just a formatting issue, or I don't know how it's backing them up. You'd think it'd just be like a text file, but yeah. CSV or something. Or a little uh, database. Yeah, it's S not like SQLite or something. Yeah, it's not like they're big. Um, so quickly, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos back on Earth following successful Blue Origin space launch. So we've had. We've oh, it had, was successful. That's a shame. <laughs> we've had um, Bezos. We've had. Branson. Branson, and we've had, although actually um, Elon hasn't actually gone to space, but not yet, not yet. But he's had people. He just <laughs> had to have. Look, we had Branson, we had Bezos, and we had um, Musk. <laughs> he should have had a B for his name, Busk. Be Belon, Belon Musk. Belon Musk. <laughs> Sounds like something. Belon Musk. Um, so basically, yeah, they've been. They've been testing their rockets since 2015. They finally got confident enough to throw some people in there, and it didn't explode. So, and who really went to space? So, well, he was weightless, so he was far enough up that he was in. in he was far enough up there to be able to record an OK Go music video. I showed that to my friend the other day. Have you seen the one where they do it weightless in one of those vomit yeah, rockets? They only had, um, I think it was 15 seconds at a time or something. Yeah, they, they made a whole video for it. It's awesome. But they, did guys, it, they did it in one take. Yeah. Because when they weren't weightless, they were shuffling other stuff around and the plane was yeah. climbing and then they'd go back down again. Yeah. <laughs> it was really well done. Uh, all their stuff is amazing. Oh. They were showing the one where they drive around in the car and they got like 200 oh, yeah, pianos yeah. on I the side and one. 400 guitars. <laughs> Do you ever see the setup for that? Yeah, they, they have behind the scenes and things. Yeah, that's one thing I love about it too. They they do have all the behind the scenes stuff. And then they did a Rube Goldberg machine. Yep, that one took them a long time because they uh, had to keep resetting it. They've done um, like one, the one moment was all paintball cannons. Yeah. Um, yeah, upside down, inside out was the weightless one. Their original one was here it goes again, which was the one on the treadmills. All oh, right. Uh, yep. Needing getting was the one with the cars through the through the playing the instruments yep. um, I Won't Let You Down was in conjunction with I want to say Nokia but it was uh, they were all on like these little um, little mini Segway sort of deals alright all doing like choreographed stuff for that one uh, and Love is all done in time lapse um, they, they never see them walk but they slowly travel along the path from the lake and they go upstairs right. and stuff <laughs> Um, it's very reminiscent of the Beatles, actually. Um, White Knuckles is a giant... <laughs> you right? The City Viewers Comp. There no, it is. Means we've been going more than an hour. Um, <laughs> White Knuckles is like a giant cups and sort... Like, do you know the stacking cups? Yep. It's like a giant version of those. 
Um, so yeah, so no, they're they're fantastic with their. This two shell passes their Rube Goldberg one. Yeah, that's an awesome one. Um, they also did a second one to this this two shell pass, which is a marching band. Oh yeah. Um, sort of one. So yeah, no, I love their stuff. They're, they're one of the examples of a band who. Innovative. I want to say they were with Sony Music, I think it was. And they still had like one album left to go. And they said, look, we want to do this and we want to do this and here's our idea for this. We want to make this happen, we want to do this. And Sony's like, we can't, that's, we can't market any of that. That's not something we can do. And they're like, well, that's what our album's going to be. So either you have to make it happen or you're going to have to let us go because that's our album. Yeah. And anyway, they ended up doing negotiations and they got out of their contract with Sony. And then they... They, were they one of the ones that said just pay whatever you want for the album and yeah pretty much so and then here it goes again which is the first one they did which they're known for which is the one on the treadmill yeah. uh, which has got like 100 million views <laughs> <laughs> um, they basically they shot it themselves with a handicam and a couple of mates and threw it on YouTube and that was their first venture into self-publishing videos yeah and they haven't looked back since then you know they've got hundreds of millions of views all up on their yeah. on their videos you know and um just a classic example of what you can do um uh, obsession is really cool actually if you get a chance obsession is a wall of color laser printers yep. and as they're singing the song all these different color pages are printing out making artwork falling cascading from the printers behind them all oh, right yeah it looks really cool <laughs> they should do one with with those guys who have like 50 floppy drives and makes the music with the, oh, the floppy drives tron. and laser laser uh, scanners and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, the floppy tron. They probably wouldn't surprise me. They probably would. Yeah, there's um, those guys would be into it. Yeah, if you haven't seen, there's the floppy tron. There's um, a few different ones. There's one guy um, who does yeah uses the stepper motors out of scanners and hard drives and there's a guy who does FPOS machines and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. They're, uh, it's pretty cool to watch them do all that sort of stuff, actually. There's another guy, um, what's his name? Um, Wintergarten, 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 I think it is, he's, he's German or Dutch or something. And he does a marble machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome, too. He does all the different <laughs> instruments on the marble machine. But anyway, nothing, none of that has anything to do with, um, Oops. with Jeff Bezos making it back to Earth. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We never go off on tangents. No, no, I don't talk about. Is it yours or mine? Yours. Uh, Amazon and eBay, next in line for a triple C's digital platform assault. Oh. So as you know, a while back, it's not just them, it's uh, Kogan and Amazon and eBay and um, a couple Anyone other. Anyone whose name online. isn't Jerry. <laughs> Basically. Well, it's online only retailers they're looking at at the moment. So it'd be Catch, um, you know, catch the day be you know all those sort of ones um basically i mean you gotta remember was it last year Coden got fined like three hundred fifty thousand for discounting marked up products <laughs> um you mean selling at the original cost <laughs> original price so it's okay for jerry to do that but online you can't do that yeah. um but basically that's what they're doing they're going through looking at all these platforms making sure that they're not doing things like that, making sure that they are behaving and trading within the guidelines, which I get. Um, they don't, you know... <clears throat> I, 
there's a few things that we've got to be wary of, making sure that um, you know they're doing like they're, they're handling their data correctly, customer data, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think they'll be okay. They've sort of learnt their lesson from from Kogan last time. They sort of haven't really. Um, they don't seem to be doing that thing because with Kogan it was incredibly obvious, especially if you're a club member. Because you'd, you'd look at a product and then next week they'd have it on sale for the same price and the retail price was dearer than it was when it was on sale. Yeah. And if you logged in as a club member, you'd get the discounted price on top of the actual original sale price so it was cheaper. Um, but it doesn't seem to be happening anywhere near as much as it was. Ooh. So hopefully that'll be fine. <clears throat> I don't have a problem with it, but I want their next one to, after they finish doing the online ones. I want them to go through Woolworths and Coles and Harvey Norman and and um, all those places and, and do them next because yeah. there are times I've seen something on sale that's dearer than the regular price. You ever see that people on uh, Twitter or something will take a photo <clears throat> lifting up the tag okay. and it's like discounted to $25 and you lift it up and it was $19 but now it's discounted to 25 or something. Yeah, well, I mean, I used to work at Woolworths. Uh, it's very common. Um their argument is that the new stock that they've just purchased is they got it at a cheaper price than the last sort of stock that they had, which I understand, but you can't. <laughs> or, or they'd say, like, and the same thing has happened when I was working in bottle shops as well. They're getting a product on sale, but they might have already had stock in the system that was a run out line that was cheaper than the product that they purchased on sale. So the sale price is dearer than what the normal price is only because they paid more for the product. Yep. But I'm like, well, you, you can't... I'd say it's a sale. <laughs> you can't say it's a sale. The best you can do is just say, you know, um, you know, special price. You can, do, you can do like a special price. You're yep. not saying it's a sale price. Yep. You can do that. <laughs> but you can't say this product's on sale when last week you're selling it for $10 and this week you're selling it for 15 Yep. With a twenty dollar price tag, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. It's kind of like um, knowing, working in the industry, and knowing what products cost, and then walking into another store and seeing what they're selling them for, and you look at them and go, "How? How do you? How? How are you selling any at that price to start <laughs> with? And how can you justify selling it at that price? Um, you know." And I've come to the conclusion after working in retail for 30 odd years that the ultimate price you pay for a product has nothing to do with quality, has nothing to do with the product, has nothing to do with what you paid for it. The price that you have, most places have on a product, is what people will pay for the product. Yeah. That's that's it. I mean, if they said the same for Adobe. Why, why is the Adobe suite more expensive in Australia? Because people in Australia people pay. will pay for that. If they didn't buy it, we wouldn't sell it, so therefore the price would change. Yeah, exactly. But it, it doesn't... Well, we're buying some parts off one of our suppliers. We're buying some battery boxes, actually. They're $45 a box, which is cool, because I could sell them for, you know... I, I could sell them... Or well, actually, I could afford to give them away as like bonuses and stuff and not, not have an issue with it. And the next lot I ordered went up to $55. Yep. I'm like, what? what's the deal? Like, you guys haven't had a shipment in. They're the same batteries. I'm like, oh, yeah, but they're selling, re selling really well, so we just decided to put the price up. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> I 
profit, yo. Just because you've been selling them really well doesn't mean that I can sell them now. Yeah. <laughs> at fifty-five dollars, I can't afford to give them away. At forty-four dollars, I could. Yeah. You know, and so okay, fine. You're making more money, but I've just lost money on the deal. <laughs> you know, so it's just. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Amnesty International accuses governments around the world of using NSO Group's Pegasus iPhone hacking tool to illegally spy on journalists and human rights defenders. Apple's head of security engineering and architecture condemns this type of hacking. Condemns it, I say. But also says that such attacks are not a threat to the overwhelming majority of our users. Pegasus can be used to harvest data from iOS devices and Apple has been unable to find a way to block it. It's what's called a zero-click attack. Reportedly, all that's needed necessarily to be hacked is to receive a text. But Ivan Kostik, who leads Apple's software security efforts, points out the average iPhone users are in no danger from Pegasus. Attacks like the ones described are highly sophisticated, cost millions of dollars to develop, often have a short shelf life and are used to target specific individuals. Yeah. While that means they are not a threat to overwhelming majority of our users, we continue to work tirelessly to defend our customers we're constantly adding new protectors for their devices and data. The best thing average iPhone users can do to prevent their iPhone from being hacked is to install every iOS update as soon as possible. And this will get easier with iOS 15, as it will give users the option to install security updates without also installing new features. They'll only allow uh, Apple to hack you. Nobody else will be able to hack you. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> um... Yeah, look, this sort of thing's been going on for years. Like, remember that case a couple of years ago where the FBI begged Apple to hack this guy's phone because they already had all the information off it, yep. but there was no legal way of them to have that. So they be they begged Apple to say, we need you to hack this phone so that we can have the information. And they're like, no. And they oh, basically no. had to throw all the information out because they couldn't use it in court. Now, it's, it's not new. It's been going on for years. If it's not... Yep. If it's not... I mean pre-mobile phones it was landline tapping yeah <laughs> it's 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 something that happens but it's not something the average person has to worry about because yes it's expensive yes it takes a lot of manpower <clears throat> and it's really uh and who's it's gonna not be a, targeting joe user anyway yeah for the most part it's only um you know whether it's a uh news reporter who's got in too deep somewhere or it's a political thing you never you know, the average person doesn't need to worry about it but yeah, it's certainly something you can do and it's not only an Apple I'm sure every phone out there can be hacked in exactly the same way I mean they can track without any effort at all they can track the GPS signalling and they can track everything on your phone anyway um, even if your phone's turned off a lot of the phones that are turned off don't turn off completely depending on the phone um, so it, that's it's not really surprising um, it is surprising though that they've admitted to it which I find this interesting part about it yeah <laughs> I'm not surprised in the fact they do it I'm surprised in the fact they're admitting to doing it exactly you know but then again everybody thinks it's good these days I mean what was it South Australian police or whoever Western Australian police used the COVID app to track somebody and then a couple of weeks later Queensland police did exactly the same thing yep so, they're not allowed to they're not allowed to and it's, it's a breach of multiple laws <laughs> but um, that doesn't matter because they're the police they can do whatever they want yeah, make the laws so, 
Um, just quickly, ASX issues caution for Aussies investing. Speaking of people who break laws all the time, ASX issues caution for Aussies investing in crypto and contemplates exchange regulation. The Australian Securities Exchange has issued a warning to investors uh, keen to buy in the crypto scene, particularly around the security of the private keys used to access digital funds. Uh, in a submission to the committee, um, considering Australia as a technology and financial centre, the ASX says it would be worth considering whether investors understood the risks and ben benefits of owning digital assets through the custodian or exchange of operating with custodian. Digital assets are associated with the user through the addresses, which the owner being the one with the address. The user's address is a mathematical deviation of their private key, which in turn is derived from a random seed. The user must keep their random seed secret to prevent other users from uh, deriving their private key and accessing the address associated with the digital assets. The effect access to the private key and address will confer custody to the underlying assets in the address. In that sense, access to the private key can be linked to the legal title. ASX added it was not concerned that many users are leaving now, I was concerned that many users are leaving digital assets on crypto exchange with private key held by the exchange, leaving the user vulnerable to security breaches in the exchange or the risk of the assets may be dealt with undisclosed or unauthorized manner. Um, so we have briefly talked about this before, the difference between a private key and a, and a public, well, a privately held key and a publicly held private key. <laughs> and cold and hot wallets. Yeah, and I mean, yes, okay, Technically, you know, Binance has all my. It's Binance. Yeah, Binance has all my. Um, my Dogecoin. They've got all my crypto in their control, but they still can't access it because I've got the key. Yeah. So, like, they might have the asset, but the thing is, I can use that key and still access the asset through anybody not just through them so they don't really have access to it in that regard um, if that makes sense mm -hmm. it's sort of like a bank like you can have a uh, what do they call it a box a security box at the bank yep. they physically hold the box and they lock it behind lock and key but you're the one who's got the key to access that deposit box. So even though they physically have possession of it, they can't access it without you. Yeah. It's, it's basically exactly the same thing. Um, and being concerned about that is exactly the same as being concerned about a bank holding on to your assets. Yeah. Should you trust them? Should you not? Well, probably not. But ultimately, you don't... Got to be somewhere. <laughs> I'd hate to try and manage a private key in a trading sense. Yeah. Be okay if you, if you knew you've got... You know, you got you know a hundred Bitcoin on a private key. Fine, okay, throw it in a drawer, whatever, not a problem. But if you want to actually trade, that's that's where you need to have that on an exchange because that 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 Bitcoin sitting on that thumb drive is worthless. Yeah. Until it gets exchanged, like it's literally just data sitting on a drive. Yeah. So having the keeping the private data yourself, it's like having it's like having a blank checkbook. Yep. They might have access to a heap of funds, but as it is, it doesn't. It's not worth anything. Yeah. <coughs> so it's only good if you're the ultimate hodler. Never going to do anything with it. Yeah, and I mean, basically, what they're sort of, I guess, what they're trying to say is they want everybody to hold onto their keys so that you can be held accountable for your own data. Therefore, you get to pay them tax and 
they get to know how much money you've earned effectively. That's what they're saying. Because while ever I'm not holding on to that physical key, I'm not in possession of that currency, therefore it's not mine. Mm. I might have access to the key and I might be the only person who has access to that money, but if I'm not actually touching it, I don't own the money. It's not until I transfer it into my account that it becomes mine. Up until then, it's just a bunch of numbers thrown together. Yeah. So... If you were lucky enough to own both a desktop computer and dot matrix printer back in the 80s, it's likely you also dabbled in desktop publishing using a classic app called The Print Shop. <laughs> Once lost to time, many classic apps that ran on ancient hardware, The Print Shop has been resurrected in the browser so you no longer need to pay for Adobe InDesign. <laughs> Originally developed by David Balsam and Martin Kahn and published in 1984 by Brodebun Software, print shop first debuted on the Apple II but was such a huge hit it was eventually ported to other personal computers of the era including Commodore 64 and anything that could run MS-DOS. Although impossibly simple by today's desktop publishing standards, its ease of use is what made the print shop so popular as users could combine clip art, custom text and other pixelated adornments in minutes to create custom signage, cards and even banners thanks to the printer paper of the era being one just long sheet of perforated paper. Mm-hmm. The app was also a great selling tool for personal computers, which at the time didn't have a lot of practical applications aside from games, word processing or spreadsheets. Although the emulated version of the print shop doesn't directly send designs to any modern printer, it does generate a downloadable PDF file that you can easily print after the fact. And uh, you can try it out at theprintshop.club. Which is currently down. (laughs) Oh, you broke it. I just went there to look. (laughs) But I can show you some screenshots. Um, Works for me. How does it? I'll check it again in a sec. So yeah, so you, it's, uh, you can do the old greeting cards and signs, and I used to use this program all the time. Yeah, it was great. Um, there is a modern equivalent called Rastabator. <laughs> they say what? <laughs> Rastabator. It, it, it turns an image into a raster image, or a document into a raster document, so you can do exactly the same thing. You can stretch it over as many banners as you want. Oh, all that generator. Um but yeah, so all the cool stuff you used to be able to do with it. The funny thing is, what I used to find that funny, you could design them in color, yep. but it was irrelevant because you only had a black dot matrix printer anyway. <laughs> Unless you're really lucky, like I used to on my Commodore 64, I had um, uh, I had a four color plotter. Oh right. So I had something resembling a color printer, even though it was really really painful to use because it was a plotter and. It had to all be done one piece at a time, but yeah. <laughs> the, more, the more colours you'd throw in. It wasn't smart enough to go, oh, I'll do all the blacks and I'll feed the paper back through, or I'll do all the blues and feed the paper back and do all the green. No, no. Yeah. It went black, blue, green, red. So it literally had to change <laughs> the head around every time it did a dot. So if you did, a, you could print an A3. Remember the butcher's paper mm. rolls? It took those. That's what it, that's what it used. You say it was, you know... 900 or 1100 wide and as infinitely as long as you wanted it to be so if you did a banner that was full color it could take days to print this banner out because it would literally go one pixel change colors next pixel change colors next pixel (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yeah and it only you um you know the the mini sharpies yep yeah that's literally what it used as its Ah. (laughs) as its ink box so (laughs) Every, you know, it would 
it would do X amount of dots and then it would go, hey, your ink's running low. Just guess because it knows roughly yeah. how much it could do on a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> and it would do an X amount of like a, a section this deep on the paper and it goes, you need to replace your inks. <laughs> uh, that was great. So, um, And just so people know, Zoom is um, getting some updates. It's um, They're... They are off <laughs> Just so people know Zoom has now started Its own web store Or sort of Web store sort of thing It's got 1500 App store It's got 1500 apps Currently Offered in this marketplace um, And more are being added regularly um, There's 50 being added Right now And they're slowly being rolled out Over the next few months um, So there's everything from Dropbox sharers to ServoMonkey, on-the-spot ServoMonkeys to all sorts of stuff that you can integrate into your meetings directly. Yeah, so um, it's going to be pretty cool what you're going to be able to do. That you can you can even do things like a group buy. So, say for example, you've got five stores and you've got all the managers together. Um, You can go to a website like eBay, for example, and you can purchase or office works and you can purchase five of those tablets one for each store and it'll automatically distribute when it goes to the checkout it'll distribute them all to each store oh, and nice. um, it's got all your normal sales and marketing stuff with your calendars and your you know all the collaboration stuff so it's gonna be really cool um, I've only um, it's being launched under the name zaps as in zoom apps right so cool. something to check out and if you want to, yeah, integrate more features into your Zoom meeting. Um, I did see it, some of it when I logged on to Zoom to start our meeting earlier. They, they had a thing up saying, have you tried our new apps and stuff now? So oh. so that would be cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 playback of tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. See you next time. Bye.